It's so good to see you guys here this morning. Um, We are going to finish our series in Micah uh, today. So if you've got a Bible or you like to to look up the verses, the the passage yourself on your uh, mobile device, you can be turning to Micah chapter 7. Micah chapter 7. If you're having a hard time finding it, it's right between Jonah and Nahum. Um, Or you can just look at the table of contents. Hey, I want to say just a, a real brief word, um, and then I'll set something else uh, up prior to us jumping into Micah 7. But I've been asked sev- several times what our uh, plans are to address the, the COVID spike that's resulted from the Delta variant. And basically, we're not going to address it, um, except to say, uh, be cautious, be careful, be smart. And, and I would say this. Um, if you're not vaccinated, please talk to your doctor, right? Just, just talk to your doctor and see what they say. Not, not, you know, your brother-in-law on Facebook or your favorite news channel or talk radio, but go talk to your doctor. And if you don't trust your doctor, talk to some friends so that you can find one you do trust because though it may shock some of us, they know more than we do about things like COVID. So I really encourage you to do that. But from everything that we can see, we, we've tended through this whole pandemic, uh, which continues to be weird, but less weird. Um, we've tended to track about four to six weeks behind Britain, and they are sailing right out of their COVID spike from the Delta variant. So um, we would just say, uh, don't be stupid. That's a, that, that's a general, that's from me, right? Not the leadership board. So <laughs> that's just, that's from me. Um, next week, as we um, kick off our fall programming season, we're going to start a series called Made for Purpose. And it sounds, just superficially, kind of like a surface-level series, but it is not going to be. Because I, I suggest to you that understanding deeply in theologically, theologically formed ways God's purpose for human beings and God's purposes for us as individuals is a really difficult thing to grab a hold of and hold on to. And when we lose that, it contributes a great deal to the lack of mental health, to restlessness, to physical problems, and so many other things. And what we see coming out of this pandemic Uh, Part of the data reveals that a a lot of what's happened through COVID and through the last year and a half is it has jarred people and made many, many, many people re-examine, reassess, and question their lives, why they're here, what they're doing, what's going on, the decisions, the purposes, the directions of their lives. And it is into this restlessness we want to speak for four weeks starting next week from God's Word, from God's Word. Now, I want to just kind of show you a a bit of a clip. I'm going to set this clip up. It's from a 2015 movie called The Intern that starred Robert De Niro and Anne Hathaway. De Niro plays a 70-year-old widower and retiree who's just bored, right? He's seen the grandkids enough. He's been to the beach. He's been to the coffee house. He needs something to do. He needs something to do. And he he sees an advertisement, a promo, 
for an, an upstart, young, and massively growing online fashion company that is looking to hire senior interns. Not senior level or senior in high school or senior in college, but senior adult interns to come and, and, and to give into the company filled primarily with young people uh, to bring in their wisdom and their life experience and their skills during that kind of third act of life. But De Niro's character, he has to submit a, a, a video application, which is all new for him. Right? But I think he has something poignant to say, so let's watch this just briefly from The Intern 2015. If you've got breath in your lungs, you've still got music in you, right? And God has made you for purpose. One of the things I was reading uh, this week preparing for the series uh, that we kick off next week was um, some new research coming out. And, and I found this stat not that su surprising, but still somewhat surreal or startling. Those who retire at age 55 are 89% more likely to die within 10 years than those who retire at 65 or older. And part of what you see now, now you can retire early and live a good, long, vibrant life. Thank you, Lord. But you've got to find something to do, right? You've got to find something to do because you and I were made with purpose and for purpose by God. So be here next week. Don't miss the kickoff of that series, and invite, invite unchurched family and friends, co-workers, classmates, you kiddos going back to school, students, invite people and watch what God will do with it. Let's jump in now, and let's close out our series on Micah, Micah chapter 7. Part of what God does here through Micah, moving fluidly with different voices from God speaking to Micah speaking to collectively the people of God speaking, is lay out four attributes or characteristics of God himself. Who is this God that is speaking to the nation of Israel through the prophet Micah? And we're just going to highlight these four characteristics or attributes this morning, but I think it's significant and here's what I would challenge you to do. I would challenge you to ask God now which one of these attributes or characteristics you need to meditate on and dwell on this week. Because I will promise you, if you're in here, if you're listening, if you're watching online with us, there's at least one of these characteristics of God that's going to hit home in a significant and profound way with you. And you need to spend time this week dwelling on that characteristic, reading around God's Word throughout the Bible, verses and passages that deal with that characteristic. So as we go through these, and what's interesting here is the breakdown. God gives two characteristics of himself that deal specifically with and for and toward his people, and then two characteristics that deal largely about who God is across the board to all of his creation. Let's start out, and I'll just tell you the first one is this. The Lord is light in the darkness. Amen? The Lord is light in the darkness. Some of you haven't lived long enough yet to have entered and gone through a deep season of prolonged darkness. But many of you have. And it is good to know that the Lord is light in the darkness. We're going to pick up in verse 8. Verses 1 through 7 are, are basically a prophetic summary. 
Micah sort of summarizes what we've been talking about, what's going on in the nation of Israel at the time. Let's pick up and we'll read verses 8 through 10. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. This is basically in the voice of the, of the people of God right now. Though Now listen, though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case and upholds my cause. Isn't that unbelievable that, that we're the ones that sinned against God and the people of God in his day were bearing the Lord's wrath from that and yet it's still the Lord who's been sinned against that is going to plead our case and uphold our cause. He will bring me out into the light. I will see his righteousness. Here's why it's so important to know that the Lord is light in the darkness and to remember passages like 1 John 1 John 1 5 that say this is the message we have heard and now declare or pass on to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Some of you need to hear that because you're walking through a season right now where you're tempted to believe there's some darkness in him or he wouldn't allow this to be going on. He wouldn't have allowed this to take place. He wouldn't be silent in this area of my prayer. But the, the, the witness of Micah here is that even in the seasons of judgment among God's people throughout the Old Testament, God was their light even when they sat in darkness, and was the one who would lead them out, verse 8 says, into the light. He's their light when they're in darkness, and he is the active agent who will, in his time and good pleasure, lead them out into light. And it's the same in our lives today. And John, who walked with the Lord and knew the Lord and saw the Lord and experienced the crucifixion of the Son of God, the resurrection the ascension, the persecution and scattering of the people of God, the martyrdom and brutal execution of nearly all the apostles says that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. It's important to remember when I was in middle school, my maternal grandfather was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's was newer on the scene at, the, at that time. Uh, treatment for Alzheimer's, they haven't cured it yet, but they're getting a whole lot closer. But treatment for it has advanced so much since that time. But I remember watching, we, we lived just outside of the town where both my grandparents lived, so we grew up and had a lot of access to my grandparents. I thank um, God for that opportunity. And I, I watched my, my granddad, who had been a, a godly man all of his life, ever since his conversion as a young man. He had pursued God. He had served faithfully and been an active part of the local church where I grew up, First Baptist Church. He'd been a deacon and a Sunday school teacher and a godly businessman who had his little uh, Soul Winners New Testament Bible always ready. And he was always going and visiting and sharing God's love with 
businessman, leading them to faith in Christ. He was unbelievably generous as a businessman, the owner of a local electric store in town that provided uh, electrical work and contract work for oil-filled people, as well as appliances and repair and electrical work for homes in town. And it wasn't until he retired and passed the business on, sold it to one of my uncles, that we realized just how generous he had been um, and how patient he was with people as they were paying things off. And I, I watched him get Alzheimer's and decline and decline and decline in such a demoralizing and dehumanizing way. And I remember being so frustrated as a young teenager at why God allowed that to happen to my granddad. He died when I was a freshman in college. Why all of those quote-unquote good years were taken from him. And my faith just hadn't matured to the point yet. Not where I wouldn't ask those questions. There can be enough pressure put on all of us that we're going to ask that question. But where my faith was rooted in God's word and strong enough theologically to say, I don't know why, but I do know it's rare that God steps in and intervenes for an individual human to stop the effects of sin that are worldwide and impact us. He is intervening across the movement of human history through the application of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ in and through his people so that one day, one day there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. No more tears. No more pain. But I also just wasn't quite formed enough yet to say, I don't know why, but I know in this season of darkness that my God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. I know that he weeps with us. And I know that I can trust my grandfather to his good and generous and loving care and that I'll see him again one day. That's why this matters. That's how it carries you through situations in your life. Light is this remarkable thing. We've talked in here before about how the, no amount of darkness drives out the smallest amount of light, right? You guys have heard that, but it's so true. Light brings clarity. Light shows the way. Light warms. Light clarifies. We have uh, a child. I'll leave a name because I didn't discuss before. But one of our kiddos, we got here, we don't have any fence. I found that's a fairly normal thing around here. Uh, but there's no, there's no backyard fence at our house. And we kind of have uh, trees and a, a kind of a, a drop off to a, a valley behind us, behind our house. And so we have to take our dog out all the time to go to the bathroom. We can't just open the door uh, and let him go, which I think is a training issue. But good dog, too late now. So uh, none of our kids particularly like going out in the wooded darkness of night behind our house when it's late to take checks out and let him go to the bathroom. But one of them in particularly will not do it without light. Will not do it without light. And uh, now, now give them a flashlight, which is an iPhone with a flashlight on it, um, and they're good to go. There's something, the light doesn't change anything about the surroundings, but the light brings comfort. The light allows us to see things we can't otherwise see. The light provides clarity. The Lord is light in the darkness. The Lord is also shepherd to his people. He is shepherd to his people. Verse 11, the day for building your walls will come. The day for extending your boundaries. In other words, on the other side of this, there's going to be 
an extended season of fruitfulness. In that day, people will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt, even from Egypt to the Euphrates, and from sea to sea and from mountain to mountain, sea to sea and mountain to mountain. The earth will become desolate because of its inhabitants as the result of their deeds. Shepherd your people with your staff. The flock of your inheritance, which lives by itself in a forest, in fertile pasture lands. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in days of long. It's this picture of desolation being everywhere except where the people of God are. Because God is shepherd to his people. And he has them protected And he has them provided for. And he has them cared for. Sometimes you're going to look around at all of the craziness swirling in our culture. And it's going to be tempting to be filled with fear. But friends, being filled with fear is not something that defines the people of God. It is not something that characterizes us. But we've got to remember who our ultimate shepherd is. And that language is it's hard to translate into a modern metro area in the 21st century United States. But I'll just remind you of Jesus' own words in Matthew 10, 14, when he said, I am the good shepherd. Do you hear that clarifier? He's not just your shepherd. He's your good shepherd. And he says, I know my sheep, and they know me do you know one of the deepest desires of the human condition is simply to be known to really truly be known that's why it's so frustrating when someone who should should know your name doesn't know your name you just want to be known and names are a big deal names are a big deal look back at verse 14 shepherd your people with your Staff. What's amazing about this language is the, the staff here was used to deal with those, with those who threatened the sheep. Threaten the sheep, you get the staff. Was kind of the way it went. Therefore, the staff was an, an implement of comfort to the sheep, to God's people. It was a, a visible symbol of the protection of God for his people that he would handle the enemies of his people. What's interesting here is why this happens. If you look at the next line in verse 14 in most of our Bibles, it says, The flock of your inheritance, the certainty of the protection is rooted in who the protected belong to. We belong to God, friends. When you make a decision to lay your life down and to accept the life that God provides for you in and through Jesus Christ, through the forgiveness of sin, by His grace, you belong to Him in every way possible. You are, as Deuteronomy 7 and Malachi 2 say, His treasured possession among all the peoples of the world. And He will protect you that's what shepherds do they make sure needs are met maybe you've got some unmet needs this morning and you're simply not sure 
how those needs are going to be provided, where they're going to come from. Can I just suggest that sometimes it's, it's better to trust than to understand? That sometimes what God is giving you is an opportunity to, to say, and maybe you need to verbally say it, God, I trust you. I trust you. Even though I don't know where this is going to come from, I'm not sure when it's going to come. I'm not sure the inevitable outcome. I trust you. You are my good shepherd. And I know that you will meet my needs. Shepherds, guide. Sheep are not meant to be stationary. Shepherds, guide. Shepherds, protect. Shepherds, even whack individual sheep sometimes when they're being idiotic. The staff was used mostly on those from the outside who would threaten the sheep, but every once in a while it's used to tap a sheep back in line. The Lord is shepherd to his people. Those two attributes are given uniquely to the people of God. And there's two other attributes that we see from a 40,000 foot level over all God's creation. The Lord is light in the darkness. The Lord is shepherd to his people. The Lord is God over the nations. The Lord is God over the nations. I think sometimes we forget this. We get so unsettled because we can now watch 24-7 everything that's happening in real time all across the world. Can I just suggest to you that that may not be healthy? It's like I was telling my doctor, uh, I can take uh, wounds or injury stuff, you know, you got to deal with on the outside, sucking chest wound or whatever. But when, it's, when there's stuff internally that I can't see, disease and sickness and such that weirds me out because I don't know how to get at it right and I was talking to my doctor one time who I do trust and I said man I'd like to have an MRI full body like twice a year just to make sure and she said you don't want a full body MRI twice a year she just said I can just tell you as a medical doctor there are just some things that you don't need to know right there are just some things you don't need to know The Lord is God over the nations. Sometimes we need to turn off the TV and, and turn off social media and remind ourselves that the Lord is God over the nations. The nations don't get to put anything over on God. No nation does. Look at verse 15. As in the days when you came out of Egypt, do you hear the Exodus language there? This is part of why it's so important to have a corporate memory, not just of an individual church, but of who we are as the people of God to know our story. I'll say more about that in a minute. As in the days when you came out of Egypt, I will show them my wonders. This is not just about what God did, but it's about who God is. So he's reminding his people that just as he rescued his people out of the bondage and exile in Egypt, he will again, when the time has come, rescue his people in Micah's day out of bondage and exile to Babylonia and Assyria and bring them back into a good and fruitful land. Nations will see and be ashamed, deprived of all 
their power. They will put their hands over their mouths and their ears will become deaf. This is part, when I was a Marine, this is part of what I could never buy into with the ethos. If you know the Marine Corps hymn, there's a line in there toward the end that says, you know, if we look, we're going to see that the gates of heaven are guarded by United States Marines. What a load of it. What a load of it. God with a, a blink of his eye could turn all the world's military might to dust. Nothing and no one stands before him but that he allows it. And heaven's gates need no guards. Verse 17, they will lick dust like a snake. Sometimes you got to memorize verses when you're dealing with difficult people. Just to remind yourself that God is just and he delivers. They will lick dust like a snake, like creatures that crawl on the ground. They will come trembling out of their dens. They will turn in fear to the Lord our God and will be afraid of you. The Lord is God over the nations. Psalm twenty-two twenty-eight says, For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Dominion, kingdom, authority, sovereign power belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. If you have an informed Old Testament knowledge and theology, you know that both the Old Testament and the New Testament teach that nations rise and fall at the good bidding and will of God himself. This is his world. This is his world. The Lord is God over the nations. And finally, the Lord is the one and only Savior. The Lord is the one and only Savior. Whatever else and whomever else we look to or go to, you and I will always find lacking. And we never, like, we never go to our money and say, yes, bless you, my Savior. We never go to our spouse, certainly after six or eight minutes of marriage, and say, yes, bless you, my Savior. We never look at our children and their activities and their potential success and say, bless you, my Saviors. And on and on we go. But functionally, these things and so many more have a way of creeping into our lives as functional Saviors as those to whom we're looking for our satisfaction and our fulfillment, our joy and our peace. And can I just say, church, they can't give it. They can't give it. Success can't give it. Affluence can't give it. Influence can't give it. Popularity can't give it. Nothing Gives it. The Lord is the one and only Savior. Look at verses 18 through 20. Who is a God like you who pardons sins and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? This is really a statement of wonder and awe. I'll come back to it in just a minute. Do you not, you do not stay angry. 
but delight to show mercy. We covered this a little bit last week. You will again have compassion on us. <laughs> How many of you have ever been in a position in your life when you needed to say, Lord, would you again have compassion on me in this area? Lord, would you again forgive me for sin in this area? One of the signs of spiritual maturing is that when you fall and when you sin, even into that area where you seem to go again and again and again, is that you run to God instead of away from God. That's part of the sign, of a sign, that you're beginning to understand God's good and beautiful nature, who He really is. Where else are you going to run to? You're going to hide from God? That's ridiculous. I have twin toddlers right now. And sometimes they'll lay down in the middle of the floor and giggle and say, Where is I? Where is I? Because they think I can't see them. I don't know. Where is Zeke? Giggle, giggle, giggle. Where is he? Giggle, giggle, giggle. I'm right here. We play a grown-up version of that with God so much. Sin, sin, sin. Where is I? Instead of just saying, I hate this God. I hate that I cannot seem to experience victory over this sin. Forgive me again, God. Not because I am worthy, but because you are good and merciful. Help me, Lord. My one and only Savior. Verse 19, you will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea you will be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham you can just draw a circle around those names and out there put your people your covenant people as you have pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago the Lord is the one and only Savior. Isaiah 43, 11 says, I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. Apart from me there is no Savior. Acts 4, 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. And friends, we must be saved. We have a terminal spiritual illness in every one of us and no amount of good works and no amount of church games and no amount of giving to the salvation army will deal with it only an invasion of God's redemptive spirit into our lives through faith placed in Jesus Christ will handle the great needs that we have and we sang Blessed Assurance a few minutes ago. We sang, I and my Savior am happy and blessed. My prayer is that as the months go by and the years go by here, all guests that come in, wherever they encounter us, would walk away from us collectively and say, man, they're not going to know this language, but if they knew it, they'd say, they are a people who in their Savior are happy 
and blessed. It's another way of talking about wonder and awe. Let's look back at verse 18 just briefly. Who is a God like you who pardons sins and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? I told you, this is really, uh, it's a question framed as a statement of awe and wonder. When was the last time you felt a sense of childlike delight in who God is? When was the last time you were in awe of the glory and the majesty and the power and the goodness of God? When was the last time you experienced a sense of wonder in who He is? I think for many of us, it's probably been a long time. It's probably been a long time. I think, I think part of that is we, we don't create and maintain margin and space in our lives for God to fan the flames of delight and wonder and awe in us at who He is, how He operates His goodness poured out toward us and given so freely to us. I think also in a very real way we've, we've lost a sense of who we are. There are so many competing narratives and part of why I think chapter 7 of Micah is so good is God is saying this is who I am and this is who you are in me as my people. We live in a culture where there are so many competing narratives and we have access to them all the time. I mean, all the way from uh, secular humanism on one end to, uh, to Christian nationalism on the other hand. All these competing stories and narratives that are all untrue, that are all false. And we've lost a sight of the real story. One of the things that I know we've talked about, I was supposed to talk about last week, and I usually get reminded by staff of what I forgot. They're gracious and they're gentle, but they remind me of what I forgot to speak to that was, was part of my slot was uh, LM Institute that will begin offering our first class this fall. LM Institute is just, uh, it's a place within the life of the church where we're going to be working to make disciples through transformational learning environments. Environments that have as the highest stated goal, learning. Learning toward the end of increased love for God. His word and others. Learning toward the end of true, genuine, consistent spiritual transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit. And learning toward the end of increased delight and pleasure and passion and preparation for living missionally. It's a way of recovering what had been the church's responsibility for 15, 1600 years the theological formation, biblical formation and training of God's people and following the Reformation and Enlightenment, great chunks of it were handed off to the academy, to universities, and to seminaries. And we're pulling some of that back in now. And of the three core classes that we'll offer regularly, gospel story, gospel belief, and gospel formation, we're starting with the first one, this fall, gospel story. At who is God and what is He doing from Genesis to Revelation? We'll take 11 weeks, costs 
$30. We expect you, if you register and sign up, to be there for most of those 11 weeks, if not all of them. The cost will cover a book that you'll get and material that you'll get throughout that. But it's going to be an exciting time. To, to, and my prayer is that when you leave there, you go, I know the story. Now, I know the single thread going from Genesis to Revelation, and I know how the gospel is unfolding from the very beginning of creation and the creation narratives in Genesis 1 and 2 all the way to Revelation 21 and 22. And you're going to encounter some people and some principles along the way that you just need to know as you come to God's Word. So we're excited for that. We'll roll out two more of those core classes, the other two uh, in the spring, in a spring one and spring two term. There'll be some other things, some other information you can find out online. And as we go and pick up steam next year, about this time, we'll be getting ready to kick off our first advanced course, uh, which will weave all three of those core class focuses together. And the advanced course people, you guys will be in that course together for a year, two semesters. And our desire there is that you find your place in the story. You'll do some, some significant reading and writing. We'll discuss. We'll dialogue. It's going to be an exciting time. So um, I'll tell you more as we go, and you'll experience more as you come through uh, courses and classes. But I know this. If you're interested in the gospel story and doing that 11-week uh, LM Institute course, um, write something on your connection card just so we know. We'll email you an actual registration link, but you can uh, just write gospel story on there, LM Institute, just about anything we can figure out. You're saying, hey, I'm interested in that, and I'll say this finally, and then I'm going to call us to prayer this morning. Um, I know some of you, uh, many of you will be involved necessarily in other things on Wednesday night, and many of you will be serving. If there are enough of you that would like to do uh, this first core class of gospel story, but you can't do it on Wednesday night, not because you're doing other things like bowling with your buddies or uh, hanging out with retired coaches, but because you're up here serving or doing something else, uh, we can look at offering it again on a different weeknight. So I would just encourage you with that. Now, having said all of that, um, I hope you have felt some kind of sense of movement and word from God this morning. What I want to do now is ask us to spend just a few minutes in corporate prayer. I'm going to ask anybody who's willing to come up to the front to, to physically, as a way of just letting your body follow your heart, kneel before God and pray to Him and ask Him to begin a movement in our church, in our church starting next week. Ask for a movement of the Spirit of God. Ask for unity. Ask that those mailers that went out to so many homes would be the beginning of people receiving some kind of gospel witness who aren't getting it any other way. Pray that the lost would be saved. Ask and plead and beg God for a movement of His Spirit in this place starting next week. If you're able, I encourage you to come down to the front. Let's spend a few minutes praying.